0: The following program was made possible by Ward's lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca.
1: Hey, we're only seven episodes away from that milestone of 50. So, doing the math carry the floor, cosine is, using the protractor. Yeah, here we go. Thanks for being with us for episode 43. Talk about your virtual learning. A teacher based in Lindsay tells us how she's still striving with her gig as an associate prof based at a school in Alaska. It's more than just adjusting to a different time zone. Bottle drives are boring. Well, maybe not boring per se, but residents of Downeyville discovered a better way to raise money via empties. Trevor Hutchinson drops in to tell us of his face-to-face meeting with the man who's become a pandemic-era sensation. And more talking trees, this time at Windy Ridge. So take root, plant your feet and deer to the ground. Well, maybe not the ground, but to your speaker or headphones. My name is Denny Grignot, and this is The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, episode 43.
2: everyone, this is Gurdeep speaking from the Yukon, Canada.
1: Today is International Dance Day. I'm recording this message for International Paralympic Committee to give a message to our athletes who are staying homes due to COVID-19 that dance is a great way to be active.
0: I'm going to show you my Pangra dance moves to show you that how I use dance to be happy and active.
1: Okay, close your eyes for a moment. Now you can picture him, right? Gertie Pander, bright colored turban, maybe it's yellow, maybe it's orange, and he's dancing outside in the wilderness, sometimes in what is obviously very, very frigid conditions. Gertie Pander is also known as the dancing man in the Yukon. He's been a YouTube sensation for a few years now, but especially during the pandemic, posting his regular filled with positivity Bangra music dance videos. He's even been recruited to lead dance parties for governments and military crews, even on a Navy ship. So what is Gurdip like when he's not dancing? Can can he really be this up and inspiring most of the time? Well, the advocate's very own Trevor Hutchinson may be able to answer that. He met the dancing Gurdip recently on Gurdip's own turf, or the dance floor, as it were. Trevor joins me now. Hey, Trevor, thanks for doing this. Hey, no problem. How are you doing, Denny? I'm well. All right, I want to get to, to your special meeting, Trevor. But first, uh, what brought you to the Yukon in the first place?
3: So I was in the Yukon for about a week for uh, for work. I had some I had some meetings there. He is a really busy guy, but at the start of the pandemic, so the early days, I'd say it was even maybe April, possibly no later than May, I started to see more and more of his uh, you know of his posts online and social media, especially in Twitter. I just found myself like really enjoying it. And like many other people, I was getting like great joy from just watching him. And what was a stressful time for everyone, I was just curious. And here's this person just spreading, you know, positivity, joy, love, and doing it through uh, his music and his dancing. I just cold called him. I reached out to him. We ended up communicating through. Or it might have even just been through uh, Twitter messaging. We had a great long talk. It was it was just such a pleasure uh, to speak to him.
1: What was his response when you said, I want to meet you face to face? I'm some guy from central Ontario and I'm, I I want to stand next to you and actually see you in person. What was his
3: reaction? He got back to me, you know, a day uh a day or two later, after I sent that request, and he said, "Yeah, we'd love to meet." We arranged to meet, and it was great because his cabin, which features prominently in several of his videos, is about forty-five minutes outside of Whitehorse. So he drove into town to see me. We went to a really cool coffee shop in Whitehorse, and we had a you know we had a coffee, and then the uh, the cafe was closing. Uh, so after about an hour of chatting in the cafe, he said, you want to take a walk? And so then we just walked along a walkway that's right beside the Yukon River. And we talked for almost another hour and a half total.
1: Well, you wonder if he's like most of us right now, just happy that we can actually meet other human beings because we've been so isolated. So it was a, it was an opportunity for him to see a new face too, I'm guessing. Yeah, and although
3: uh, Yukon generally has had less uh, less restrictions and shorter restrictions due, due to COVID. So for for example, while I was there, uh, there was no uh, mask mandate inside. There was a group of uh, women from Sask- Saskatchewan, I believe, that they've known each other since they were in grade school, and they're now in their 70s, and they took a, you know, a joint trip up there, to, you know, to meet and dance with him. So he gets uh, he gets lots of requests, you know. So I know for a fact he's not able to fulfill everyone. I was really grateful and really appreciated how generous he was with his. Uh, with his time even posting in twitter that i met him and i tagged him i got like 250 likes on a post which is way above <laughs> dramatically above my batting average he's not monetizing any
1: of this it's just it seems like out of the goodness of his bangra heart so having met him what do you think he's getting out of this why is he doing this do you think
3: well what i will say i mean I, obviously i can't i can't speak for him but he has a deeply embedded sense of the importance you know of joy and and positivity what i can say is that it's authentic talking to him was everything i wanted it to be having of course followed him and liked everything he's doing but you talk to him and you realize he's the real deal he is just such a great spirit such a great human you know the pictures after me meeting i'm like you know, and I'm not a big smiler, right? I don't smile in photos. And the picture of me is just absolutely huge, grin beaming, just such an authentic person. Hmm. And so I was really interested to talk about uh, Pingwok, the company I work for, you know, that part of the conversation lasted, you know, 45 minutes. And then we just started sharing, having like a, a life talk and talking about appreciation, about joy. And the time just flew by. I couldn't believe it had been like two and a half hours. And I could still be there. I could, uh, he was just such, such a great and generous person to talk to. Like, I literally felt better, looked better with spending a couple hours to him. It was a, it was a really moving, uh, it was a really moving time.
1: Trevor, I'm sure you've met your share of, of rock stars in your day, you know, and in, 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 in pubs and bars, people that you've looked up to. Yeah in the in that list where does meeting gurdip place in all honesty
3: i'd I'd have to put him number one Uh, i've been lucky to meet a lot of famous people but i've never had such a you know a moving truly personal experience in this case who happens to be famous so yeah definitely definitely number one of uh, of any famous person or well-known person i've ever met like by by far
1: Trevor Hutchinson is a writer at large with The Advocate magazine. In the November issue, you'll find his column on what he describes as the loud anti-science crowd. You can find a copy across the city of Kawartha Lakes, including the Country Cupboard in Fenland Falls and the Burnt River Community Centre.
4: My name is Riley Ray from Wards Lawyers in Lindsay, your official sponsor of The Advocate podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes.
1: Remote learning is hardly a new phenomenon, certainly not since that spring of 2020. But that typically means students are away from their learning institutions and their professor is still in the city that's home to that same post-secondary institution. But then there's Leslie McCartney. Leslie is an associate professor and curator of oral history at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, which is where she was based for about 10 years. But when all of this happened, she came home but she continues to teach her students, most of whom are in Alaska, from her home. Home for Leslie is in Lindsay. That's where I met her recently, which they're renovating, so you'll hear the occasional hammer swing. I started by asking Leslie how her Alaska-based teaching job is different now that she's no longer based in Alaska, but based half a continent away in a different country too, in Lindsay.
2: It's time zone difference for sure. Um, So this year um, I was told that the university is trying to do asynchronous classes which means I record all my lectures, put everything online, and the students do it at their own pace within the week. Um, And then I check um, and grade everything on Monday mornings. So in a way it doesn't really matter if I'm in Alaska or if I'm here Um, If I was in Alaska, I would refuse to go into a classroom right now because of the low vaccination rate and the super high incidence of COVID anyway. So um, I would refuse. I just wouldn't do it. Um, So I would be doing it from home anyway.
1: I recognize that you'd be in your home in Alaska, but you do have the opportunity to even just walk outside, get in your car and drive past the actual physical building and go, okay, it's right there. You can't do that here. So what's, what's no, it like managing that? It,
2: I don't find it a problem at all, to tell you the truth. Um, and in fact, every morning I, I do listen to the local radio station so that I can hear the weather and I know what's going on. So I feel like I live in two worlds. I feel like when I close my office door upstairs, um, I, I go back into the Alaska world or this week I've actually been living in a European world because I've been attaching, uh, attending a European conference. So I've been up at four o'clock in the morning and I've been attending European things and listening to people from all over Europe and all over the world, actually. And then, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, that's over because it's in the middle of the night. And then I turn on the Alaska stuff and then I'm living in Alaska. So I live in these different worlds.
1: Why is it important that you listen to the local radio of Alaska and and get the sense there? Because obviously you you feel a need to appreciate what's going on there. Why?
2: First of all, the weather, because that's the big topic. So I've already had snow and everybody's getting their snow tires on so that I'm going to get, emails from work saying I'm going to be late this morning because everybody's you know blocked up at the snow tire store to get their studs on Um, and that's normal and that's normal and also because of the COVID cases I need to know what's going on Um, you know I get university emails but I want to know what's going on in the community Um, just to be on par so that when my students email me that there's a problem. And not all my students are based in Alaska either. They're based everywhere. Um, There's a few, there's one in California, for example, and and different places in Alaska. So they're not all in Fairbanks themselves either. So it's just important to know what's going on with the local politics. I'm still involved with a a historical board there. And right now there's a a big study going on to, you know, rejig heritage and, and cultural places. So I sort of want to be on top of that. So you sort of have a Put in these different worlds and still want to be involved in community as much as you can, do you know what I mean? So you, you know what's going on in the community so that you're you're up to date and it's part of my job to also do that.
1: You can know what the, what's going on in the community, but how, how do you become invested in it? Because that, that's got to present challenges too, doesn't it? Yeah, it
2: does. I'm still a board member of, um, of the Tanana Yukon Historical Society. So I still attend meetings and everything like that. I am finding it a little harder to be vested. Although with COVID, uh, Fairbanks was a very, very vibrant, vibrant place. There was a lot of arts and music and culture and all that has been shut down. So even if I lived there, what we used to do doesn't exist anymore anyway. I
1: wonder if it'd be more frustrating because you are yes. so close to it, but it's not there. But
2: there's nothing there. What made Fairbanks Fairbanks is gone with COVID. So that passed, you know, the winter and it gave you great social outfits and you met all kinds of fantastic people from all over. Fairbanks is a really diverse place. It's not, you know, now it's online. So it's a very different vibe again. So you're not, you wouldn't be getting that social interaction anyway. That was the main reason that people went to that.
1: How has this affected your relationship with your students? And I'm, I think the easy answer is, well, you know, you're disconnected. But I, but I'm almost wondering if you, you can be more connected in some way.
2: No, I think we're about as connected as we always. Were. In fact, I this year I'm having more students email me with questions than I had when I was standing in a classroom.
1: Why do you I, think that is?
2: I have no idea. But I would stand in a classroom and say, okay, let's discuss this, and it would be just dead silence.
1: You mentioned Leslie the the cultural differences and, and the Trump administration and so on, and living in that and mm-hmm. and and being a Part of that. I just saw you roll your eyes there. Well, now you're away from that. I just wonder what it's like for you as you're still their professor, but you can walk out of this house and, you know, grab a coffee at Boiling Over, go to your groceries at Value Mart, and then you come back in. And as you described it, now you're in Alaska. Mm -hmm. What's that time away when you're not, quote-unquote, in Alaska? What's that like for you now, knowing that you will be going to Alaska? Gee, in your mind, yeah. I
2: just don't engage in it First of all, the administration in Washington has changed, and, and I just don't have to engage in American politics with anybody anymore, which is a wonderful, refreshing thing. I have more students this year than I've ever had in a class. That means they don't have to come to campus, and I used to teach my classes in the evening so that I would hopefully attract more students, you know, who had this other life. Um, But this year I have more students and from, from further afield and a few of the students have even said they took the class because it's not available anywhere else and they wouldn't have been able to come to Fairbanks and take it but now they can take it because it's online.
1: I'm curious to know how, how coming home well, and being able to come back to Lindsay and still teach there what what has that what impact has that had on you?
2: Um, well, I think what's really interesting is that most people when I talk here they 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 just don't understand what I do. And so it's it, you feel very, kind of isolated in what you do. I sort of feel sometimes that I'm still very in a northern world but I don't really relate very well yet to the Southern world because the people in the South really have no idea or understand any of the complexity and the issues in the North. And I've lived so long in the North and my head's been so much in the North that really I probably don't fit in as well here. That's-
1: How are you managing that? uh,
2: It's, yeah, I've had it for a long time. Um, Even when it used to, you know, come quote home, whatever. You just, you just, it's just two different worlds.
1: Well, let me welcome you then. Welcome, <laughs> you. welcome home to Kawartha Lakes, Leslie.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs>
1: Leslie, thanks for coming home. We'll uh, we'll work on making you feel more at home. Leslie McCartney, back home in Lindsay, is a cultural anthropologist specializing in oral history and an associate professor and the curator of oral history at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. She is also the author of Our Whole Gwich'in Way of Life Has Changed, Stories from the People of the Land. You can purchase this book directly from the University of Alberta Press. Simply Google University of Alberta Press, Leslie McCartney, and that'll take you right to the page where you can find the book. But you can also find it at the Lindsay Branch of the Kawartha Public Library. You're listening to the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. You're listening for free, thanks to our official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. If you're looking for a lawyer, Chris and Jason Ward and their team, they have you covered. Find out how at wardlegal.ca. If you drive by the community hall in Downeyville, be prepared to say to yourself, wait, what? Because right in front of the hall, a very professional looking, dare I say even official looking sign that reads, empties drop off, beer bottles and cans and wine bottles, proceeds to hall fund. This, this is not letters painted on a piece of plywood, folks. This is a, a real metal slick looking sign that looks like it belongs there. It looks like it's been there forever. Hmm, there's a story there, I, I figured. A story I was pretty sure Downeyville's matriarch, the always affable and uh, well, let's say influential Mary Connell,
0: could explain. Okay, Mary, do tell. I had been involved with Ops Minor Hockey, and they did do a bottle return program there, but that one was handled differently, and that's the way that I had hoped to handle it was that we would do like a like a blitz of the area, you mark it off into grids and every person goes to you know their a- appointed spot and they do all the homes in that area and whatnot and then you bring it all back. You knock but, on people's
1: doors. I remember doing that when I played minor hockey, literally knocking on people's doors, asking for their empty bottles.
0: That That was exactly what I was thinking about. A lot of the members on the renovation committee are elderly. They felt that jumping up into the back of trucks and jumping back out and whatnot just was beyond the scope of our ability. We came up with this idea that we would, you know, advertise and have people bring their empties. And, and they actually used to come to the little garage that's in the, um, the parking lot of the, the, the church. And then Simon would pick them all up and take them from there, and he would return them and then bring the money back.
1: Now, we should uh, let people know, Mary, because we're uh, we're not all in Downeyville. Uh, who are you referring to when you say Simon?
0: I'm referring to my brother-in-law, Simon Connell. Simon felt that that was something that he could do because he's, he's older than we are by a little bit. In the wintertime, that little garage... The door always stuck. It was one of those doors that flips up, you know, like mm-hmm. on a garage. And when the ice and the snow would build up, then there was a, there was a mess. You couldn't, you couldn't do it properly. So they came up with this new idea that we would have my husband, Pat Connell, cut the lumber and donate it. And then John Lejeunesse and uh, I do believe maybe Ken O'Neill, they went ahead and they built the box, the current receptacle at the moment and they moved it from the church parking lot over by the hall and put a sign up out towards the the road that told people where to go with it
1: okay i want to ask and you th- about that sign but before that i want to know what that meeting was like when you all sat around saying well why don't we have people bring us their <laughs> empties was everybody on board or did i just was there not anybody who said look i think we're asking too much
0: well no 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 matter what idea you came up with they were all discussed um, some of us might be a little bit more forceful than others.
1: <laughs> I wonder who we're talking about. Okay.
0: And, and so, like, when you put forth an idea, you have to be really upbeat about it and tell them how well you can do and all the rest of it. And while this has been much slower than the way the original idea would have been, Simon and his wife, Gloria, have done a wonderful job. And, you know, they're up at almost $10,000. For a little old Downingville, that's a lot of money.
1: And that's a lot of trips back and forth to the, uh, to the beer store. It's a lot store. of
0: trips back and forth. You're right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, i got to ask you about that sign because uh, I saw the sign, and honestly, I, had to, I, made, I did a double take because I thought, hey, that looks like a, a government-issued sign. Most people for this kind of program, Mary, they would just spray paint something on a hunk of plywood. What went into that decision?
0: Simon Connell because Simon told us that he had this wonderful place in Annismore that would do this job. And they do do a great job. When we started out, we tried to do like the homemade signs and that kind of thing, especially, say, the first time that we did the golf tournament. And we did homemade signs and whatnot. And then on the second year around, we talked about it at a meeting and decided, you know, it should look far more professional than this. And so those signs are done in Lindsay. And um, everybody gets a, a professional looking sign put out on the golf course, and then we put them up again when we do the beef barbecue in the fall, so that whenever ever anybody sponsors their advertised, over and over again during the year so that people understand where we are, you know, going to for asking for money.
1: And it kind of dispels the whole notion that people in the country are kind of quaint and cute and just, you know, use uh, whatever's handy. You mentioned that you've raised $10,000 so far. And this started out as, as you mentioned, just as you know, a door-to-door campaign that evolved into this. Um, what do you think the next step could be? Can Is there already a phase three where you might you might need a bigger building?
0: I don't know that maybe simon would want to get even bigger than that we'll just have to see
3: my name is jason bain i'm from lindsay and you're listening to the advocate podcast stories from Lakes.
0: hi there i'm the white birch not to be confused with the yellow birch because they are well yellow you'll see that my bark peels off like paper but please don't take any off my trunk Lots of
1: people think that it won't hurt me. Ah, if only trees could talk, right? Well, they can, sort of. Now, if you're thinking, hey, podcast host, I'm the podcast host. Didn't you already tell us about the talking trees that Ken Reed in episode 25 almost a year ago? Yes, yes, I did. But like any good journalist, I felt this story advancing, and I felt it was necessary to bring you that fresh story. The story of a phone app that, as you're walking through a forest, a GPS signal is sent to your phone and then you hear a nearby tree or stump or some other forest, what have you, speak to you. It's pretty cool. And the Talking Forest is no longer exclusive to Ken Reed Conservation Area. The trees now talk to you at Windy Ridge Conservation Area as well between Omimi and Bethany. Christy Virgo is the person who helped launch this unique program about a year ago and recently brought it to Windy Ridge. Christy is the Director of Stewardship and Conservation Lands with KRCA. Now, Christy, there are many parks within your jurisdiction. Why did you choose Windy Ridge for the site of your second talking forest?
4: I mean, there was a couple of different factors that we looked at. Number one, Windy Ridge is um, one of three parks that we have that are open through the winter so we wanted to make sure that the next park was that we were going to be introducing it at a time when people were going to be able to continually use it and not you know have to shut it down a month after we open it up so that was one of the features Um, the other feature was that you know the the app when we originally designed it and this is sort of an internal feature but when we originally designed it it was myself and uh, melissa creasy alexander one of our staff people here and Windy Ridge is her favorite park. So I said to her that she would get to choose the second park that it was put into because of all of her contribution to the the feature. And she was really excited to have it added to Windy Ridge. So,
1: Well, you know what? It's one of my favorite parks too, because uh, it's a great dog walking park because it goes, it, is. Well, it goes into a circle. You don't have to hit a point and convince the dog to come back. So that makes it <laughs> a little bit easier.
3: Greetings, friend. I am the Norway Spruce. It's so nice to see visitors here at Windy Ridge. I've been here a long time, and I've grown to be big and strong over the years.
1: Out of movie producers uh, and directors, you know, they'll visit a site many times before they actually start shooting a movie. So, describe to me the whole process. You undertook in choosing the trees at at Windy Ridge, the research that you did before you even started working on the scripts that the trees would read. How, How did you do that?
4: so our first step was basically going out because you know you go out to these properties and you're managing them and you're walking through them but you don't stop to take a look at individuals as you're doing it it's just sort of you're taking in the beauty and and the world around you and so as we started moving through the forest we would start on these trails, taking a look at individuals along the trail to say which is the tree that should be speaking.
2: Salutations, friend. Allow me to introduce myself the noble White Ash, guardian of Windy Ridge, and what a pleasure it is to meet you in person. Mm, well, in tree.
4: Which one has a unique feature, is looking, you know, overlooking a a certain area of the park, um, as well as the distance in between. So because we use a a technology called geofencing, it's, you know, technically you're within a six meter vicinity of the tree when it can fire so we need to make sure that the trees are far enough apart that you're not gonna they're not gonna overlap each other and then from there once we get the the different species and the different trees chosen then it's you know going back and looking at you know is there any sort of historical lore around that tree i live
0: about halfway through the trails here so please take a seat at the bench next to my trunk and relax this is a great place to just bathe in your
3: surroundings. Take a moment and listen to the wind, the birds. And
4: all so yeah, there's some stuff. of the technical information that, you know, we as natural resource employees that work with these trees all the time, we just know it's just stuff that we've, you know, accumulated knowledge we've accumulated over the years so it could be around things like the white cedar tree um when um europeans first came to north america um they were suffering from cholera and and that sort of thing and so we the first nations people provided them with um white cedar tea in order to keep them healthy to bring them back because it's really high in vitamin c and so they took that tree back to spain and presented it to the king of spain who then named it the tree of life because it saved so many lives of the the folks that were coming over in the ship
1: i am the old white oak tree and my kind live to be over 450 years old i'm not quite that old yet but i am the only standing white oak along this trail at Windy. What did you uh, learn in the first process uh, with, with Ken Reed that you were able to apply with this one here be it uh, from a technical standpoint or, or a script writing standpoint or, or even just casting the quote unquote uh, tree actors
4: So many lessons learned. Um, I think the first lesson that we learned is that we needed to shorten up some of the scripts. So, especially in the wintertime, you know, we thought, you know, a two-minute script was was lots of time to get the information out there, but not so long that it would lose people. And what we were finding is that with some of our scripts, especially in the wintertime, standing in one place for two minutes, you get kind of cold. And certainly for young kids to keep them engaged, we need to hit them with the the really quick information really quick and then get them moving again. So, we've shortened up quite a few of the scripts this time. You know, we said, you know, a minute and a half maximum, um but for the most part they're about a minute long and that gives folks the opportunity to learn something and then quickly move on before you lose their their attention span.
0: I'm the Pollinator Patch and it's my pleasure to meet you. Not sure where to look? Well, I'm not a tree. I'm a group of plants and flowers that support pollinator species in the park. What's a pollinator?
1: There's a lot of casting involved well, in this, too. Yeah. You're, you're, you're looking for actors, quote-unquote, volunteer actors. So That's right. I'm, I'm just wondering, have has the well gone dry there, or has it just uh, fostered oh, and gosh. bred more actors?
4: Yeah, I hope it hasn't gone dry. Um, but yes, so we've sort of reached out quite a bit you know, you can imagine, as you mentioned, we have a lot of parks and we're still looking at doing some of those other parks. And so we don't want to hit the same people up all the time um, for a couple of reasons. We want to give it a, a fresh look and a fresh feel each time we go into a different park. But also we don't want to, you know, overstay our welcome and, and keep asking the same people for stuff. So, um but having said that, I mean, there's lots of you know community acting groups and and you know community celebrities, whether it's radio, TV, that sort of thing. So we're tapping into everybody and we're using all of our connections. To say, hey, do you know somebody? Because it's always hard, you know, when you're when you're using somebody's voice. It's one thing to see somebody and and to be able to interact with them visually, but when all you have is their voice, you need to make sure that you're choosing the voice that's really going to get the personality of that tree across. Mm-hmm.
1: So. I got the. Point intended with tapping into a uh, local yeah, talent. Yeah. by the way
4: <laughs> my bark looks flimsy
0: but it's actually pretty strong and flexible enough that it's often used to construct canoes baskets and of course paper my kind can be found anywhere in ontario so it's
1: a good all right this is your your second project of this kind uh how far would you like to extend it within the the krca
4: yeah, so we have some really big plans for this for this feature. Um, certainly all of our parks will have some sort of a, of a talking forest um, application in them. Um, but we're also we've been working with some First Nations community knowledge holders to get them to use it as a storytelling as well as an opportunity to continue their language. So, you know, having it available in Anishinaabemowin so that people can come out and learn the language and learn that connection as well. So we're really excited about that. We're also looking at doing bilingual opportunities. So doing it in French, doing it in English and possibly doing it in a mix of the two languages for folks if so that they can actually use it as an outdoor education component to learn a different language i mean then the opportunities are endless right there's seasonal walks there's i i hear that santa is going to be actually reading doing some scripts and doing a story walk through ken reed this winter since we can't do christmas at ken reed we're going to actually have santa come out and he's going to do he's going to host one of the talking forest trails so wow really well you've, uh, you're, about
1: that. you're quite the casting director to uh, to have recruited santa and <laughs> all of that uh, christy uh, hey, and as a native of Franco-Ontarian, um, thank you for, for thinking of us. And I, I look forward to hearing Toutes les Arbres en France aussi.
4: Thank you, Denis. I really appreciate all of your support and helping us get the word out there. <inaudible> You're
0: almost at the end of your walk, or maybe the beginning, depending on which route you've
3: taken today.
1: The Talking Tree app, by the way, is totally free and it's totally fun. And you don't need data to use it. I know this because I've used it at Ken Reed. Well, The Talking Trees are now available at Ken Reed and Windy Ridge. Gerald Van Halteren, hey, thanks for writing and performing our musical Bridges and Theme. Ward's Lawyers is our show's official sponsor since day one. Find out what they can do for you at wardlegal.ca. Our show's continued success, folks, depends on streams and downloads. So please share the link and subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for free to ensure we can be around for a long, long time. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and IG. Please reach out to us. We love to hear your comments and story ideas. The Advocate Podcast Stories from the Lakes is produced by me, Denis Gringell. Bidding you adieu, but only for two weeks. We'll be back with a brand new episode December 1st.
2: It's so peaceful here.
0: Why don't you reach out and observe my bark, notice how it feels, and explore all the textures of the forest.